How we doing, Faith Promise? Great to see you guys. Man. Woo, what a great weekend. Welcome to Faith Promise, all of our campuses, whether you're at Blunt or North or whether you're at, at the Expo Center, whether you're at, at, at Can, Campbell or Anderson, man, wherever you're at, Internet Campus, Pellissippi, we're thrilled that you're, that you're with us. By the way, let me tell you, Pellissippi, God is going to do one of the most radical works through our campus in Pellissippi that's ever been done in Campbell County. The enemy is coming against us, but we're going to win in Jesus' name. Somebody give God some praise in all our houses this weekend. So we love you. Last week, our executive team, we meet usually from 8 until about 1130 on Monday morning. And we were having a conversation talking about strengthening and supporting uh, encouraging, how to motivate, how to grow faith promise. And really it is to accomplish Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him and admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his powers, mightily works within me. And we were talking about, you know, we talk about all kind of stuff and where we're going and teaching and and next campuses and all kind of things that the executive team has to has to give vision and leadership to and and, and we were talking about uh, we were, we frankly we were talking about the budget and the thought emerged and this was I had never thought this my kids have never been to a church that takes up an offering never never they're adults and so some of you are in the same boat. You've been here long enough that your kids either are young or they're young adults now. They've been here virtually their whole life, and they don't ever remember taking up an offering. And so let me ask you a question. How are we going to train the next generation in generosity when they never see an offering? Does that make sense? And we hadn't, that was an absolute brand new thought. We hadn't thought it. We were just, you know, thinking about it. And so we, 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 we discussed the fact, and, and we share it with you all the time, that your kids are your responsibility, not ours. Right? Amen. I mean, when you stand before the beam seat, you are going to be held far more accountable for how you raise your kids than what we did for your kids. Does that make sense? See, God gave them to you. It's your stewardship. It's your you know, it's your management of how you raise your kids. And so we got to thinking, well, who's teaching kids to tithe? Who's teaching, who's teaching this generation generosity? Man, we're sitting there thinking, you know, what are we going to do about that? Because we want our kids to be generous, right? Right? I mean, we, we wanted to do that. And in a nursery school, you say, you got to share your toys, don't you? So we start teaching them before they're two years old to share, and it's not about just them, and it's about other people. And, and I read a book this last week, and one of the things it said, and it really was all secular studies, generous people live longer, happier, healthier lives than stingy people. And stingy people, they use every, all their resources on them, but they don't give them anywhere else. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't strictly related to church. This is just people that are generous in general. So what I want to, before we dive into Colossians, what I want to challenge you at all of our campuses, all of our adults, all of our parents to teach your kids to be givers. Teach your kids to look for opportunities. Teach your kids to be faithful. What we used to do in our kids was a little again because even our church in Louisiana, we didn't take offerings. And so we would, I'd write the tide check and I would call the kids in and I'd say, hey, I want you to know this is what our family 
is doing. This is what I made last week, and this is what we're giving God. And they would say, wow, I mean, come on, Dad, if you wouldn't give that much, we could have more stuff. <laughs> Literally, I'm not kidding. You just, and I said, no, no, we have everything we have because I give to God. And so we would show, well, now guess what? Now 60% of us don't write a check anymore. My kids have never had a check. And so you give online. Thank God. Giving online makes it easier for all of us. I'm so grateful. And so, but if I had little kids right now and I gave online, I'd call my kids in periodically. I'd pull the computer screen up and I'd say, hey, listen, we don't take up an offering, but you need to understand mom and dad give to the house of God. And let them see, this is how we give. We give online. And so every time mom or dad gets paid, we automatically give 10% to Jesus through his church. Because we've got to show the next generation how to be generous. Amen? It's one of our values. Generosity, the heart of heaven. And so you want your kids. So I just want to challenge you that, man, you would, that you would train your kids. Does that make sense? Because we all want, listen, if Knoxville knows us for anything, we want East Tennessee to know us that we're a generous church. Amen? Come on. And so, man, let's do it. So uh, just a thought, we, we had, I mean, that we just said around that, well, how do we get here and, 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 you know, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to train and we're going to do several things, but the, really the onus is in your court. Well, if you've got your Bible, to turn to Colossians 2, where we're walking through this spiritual journey through the book of Colossians, and, and we've entitled this these Roots because this, this book is so about drilling down. It is about, about having roots deep into the Lord, into his house, into his word. And every now and then, a message just begins to burn. A passage just begins to, just, man, you know, just begins to stick in my gut, and I meditate, meditate and cogitate and get saturated and permeated. And the passage I'm going to talk to you about today, I actually started when I was, 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 was working on the message, going one way. And so I entitled it Rooted in Freedom. But the more that I studied, the more that I took my commentaries and I began to tear it apart and begin to really, really dissect, look down deep, I, I sort of began to make a little veer off. But, I, man, I just, I'd wake up in the morning. I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a couple of these, some of these verses. I'd say, Lord, this is huge. This is massive. And they've got to get this, God. You've got to do something so they get this. And one of the reasons that I think this passage weighs so heavily is because there is a prophetic pastoral warning in this passage. And it really, the, 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 the warning is multifaceted. It really deals uniquely with people that walk away from the Lord or are detractive from the Lord or, or, you know, that are pulled away, that are lured away. So if I've ever felt the heart of an author of a biblical book, as I'm reading and rereading and rereading this passage, man, I absolutely felt the heart of the apostle writing to the family of faith in Colossae that he had never met, but he'd heard about their faith. He'd heard about their love. He'd heard about the sincerity in their walk with, with the Father. Man, he was burdened for these people he'd never met. So let's pick it up in, in chapter 2, verse 6, which is really the theme verse of the whole series. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him, established in your faith. There we are. Man, that's the thesis of the whole series. Firmly rooted, built up, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And so, 
you know, there's just some, some biblical study principles. And whenever I see the word therefore, I ask the question, what's therefore, therefore? You know, why is it there? What, what is that there, therefore? And the therefore is saying, hey, listen, all this I've been telling you that you were lost and now you're saved, you were pardoned, you were delivered, you were redeemed, you, all these things. He said, therefore, because of all this, because of what I've been telling you, if you miss a, if, any message, just go to faithpromise.org and man, go to the messages. You can get any that you've missed. You can download them, podcast them. But what is, it's because all that Jesus has done, he said, therefore, verse 6, as, as, that's a little bitty word, but man, it's powerful. Because this church is under attack, so he said, as, therefore, as you receive Jesus. Now, how did we receive Jesus? By faith, amen? By grace, through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, did we receive Jesus? So, as you received him, as, as you became believers, just as you started, as you received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him. Because the, the Gnostics were coming against the church in Colossae and really a lot of the, the, the churches that existed in Paul's day. And he said, hey, remember how you were saved? Remember that faith, that grace? Hey, just like you were saved, that's how you walk. If anybody starts giving you another plan, another way, hey, it's, it's not right. He said, if an angel gives you a vision, let it be a curse anathematized. If anybody preaches anything other than what you've heard from me, they're alive, they're sent from hell, don't believe it. And so he said, as you received him, as you received Jesus, the Lord, so walk. Just like you received him, that's how you walk. Just like you started, that's how you finished. Now remember that the book is written to believers, this book is not written to people who have not yet been born again. And so, as you received Christ, Billy Graham said this, I love this quote, no man can be said to have been converted who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give mental assent to the claims of Christ or have a religious emotional experience, but if he has not, he is not converted who has not surrendered his will to Jesus. And I love that because, again, we live in the South where we're flushed with cultural Christianity. It's a religion, and, man, it is not a relationship. It is an outward adherent to a set of dogmas and, and do's and don'ts. It is, man, dress right and walk right and come and show up, you know, two or three Sundays a month, and, man, you're golden, you're good, you're flushed. No, 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 man. There's got to be a walk with Jesus. There has got to be a surrendering your will to his will. Amen? Matter of fact, if it, when, when John's gospel was completed, you'll see the word Savior used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a bunch. But when the apostles took over, when Jesus ascended and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and they took over, they almost never even used the word Savior. The word Savior is used twice in the book of Acts. The word Lord is used 123 times. See, they all, it was all about surrendering your life to the Lordship of of Jesus. Amen? And that's why there are things that I come back around and say, now listen, you said that you had surrendered. Why are you not doing these things that God said to do? Amen? And so I don't have any problem challenging people who say, hey, I'm born again. It's okay if you're born again. These are the things that we walk in. Not so that we'll be saved because we're saved. And so, and so it's all about him. And let's see verse 7. Having been rooted, established, you know, built up, established, firmly rooted, all that kind of stuff, and being instructed, and he throws this phrase, this prepositional phrase, then the sense, and he says this, overflowing 
with gratitude. Now, as I'm dissecting and parsing verbs and, man, looking at all this kind of stuff and really trying to get down, man, as, as much as I can, as accurately to the, to the text that God gave us is all I can. I'm saying, now, Lord, this, this doesn't make sense. Why is gratitude in the, what, what is it doing in there? And then it dawned on me. See, we're in the process of a prophetic pastoral warning about not falling away, right? That's, what, that's the context. Don't fall away because there's all these things trying to pull you away. In the middle of that, he says, hey, by the way, be overflowing with gratitude. And then it dawned on me. Do you know what? People that are grateful rarely fall away. Let me tell you why. See, people that are grateful to God for what he had done, they're not easily deceived. They're not easily defrauded. They're not easily pulled away. Why? Because they have a sense of contentment. People who go to church that are pulled away, listen, are people that are not full of gratitude and are always looking for something else. So the Gnostics show up, the Judaizers show up, all these cults show up in the first century and begin to offer deeper knowledge, a better way. They said, hey, there's all these gods and all these ways to get to the real true God. Jesus wasn't the real true God. He was, you know, he was this emanation. They called them emanations. And, 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 this is, and so, man, this church is surrounded by enemies that are trying to pull these people away. Trying to pull them away and Paul said, hey, listen, be overflowing with gratitude because if you're overflowing with gratitude, you're not looking for something else. Hey, guys who are grateful for their wives are not likely to have an affair. Are you with me? Believers who are grateful to Jesus, who overflow with gratitude, are not likely to fall away from him. Does that make sense? And so he said, hey, be overflowing with gratitude. It's an absolute defense against the devil. It's just because, again, people with this deep sense of, of gratitude, man, they are contented. They're not easily deceived. They're not easily defrauded. Does that, does that make sense? Are y'all getting that? So, man, it is, it's critical because this, this whole deal, I mean, Paul is warning the church. He is, he is very concerned. People that are deeply rooted are not easily moved. You can pull a weed up pretty easy, can't you? But you can't pull a tree up. Why can't you pull a tree up? Because that tree's got this big honking taproot that goes way down in the ground, and this big ball that's in there that's hooked upon the terra firma. And that's why you can hit a big tree at 90 miles an hour with a car. And the car doesn't do well, but the tree's okay. Because, see, the tree's deeply rooted. And we're going to get hit by a car at 90. But if you are deeply rooted in Jesus in the Word of God, in the house of God, you're going to be okay. Does that make sense? Now, come on. This is what the psalmist said. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's rooted in the Word of God. And in his life meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. See, God wants us to be rooted in his house, rooted in his heart there. And so he, he goes on to verse 8. And this is where the warning really begins. So I want you to get this. He says, hey, guys, see to it. See to it. You ever told you, you ever given somebody words for your kid and said, hey, I want you this, see to it? That's emphatic, isn't it? Don't let me come back and this not be done because we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. 
And so see to it. Hey, church, see to it. See to what? That no one takes you captive. He's talking to Christ followers who have bent their will around the will of God, who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. He said, hey, see that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Boy, have we got some philosophy rolling in America today. Have we got some isms and that, thatums that are claiming superiority or there's no Christianity and man, there's, our, our, man, we're living in this pluralistic, relativistic world and it's everywhere. So he said, hey, don't, don't fall captive to philosophy, empty deception. According to the traditions of men, really, he's talking about demonic, the elemental base things right there. Traditions of men, I mean, according to the elementary principles, he's talking about the demonic of the world rather than according to Christ. Because the church was this little family of faith, these, this ragtag band of brothers and sisters are trying to love Jesus, and they're surrounded by enemies. They're everywhere around them, and the Judaizers, they're trying to pull them, and the Gnostics are trying to pull them, and the heathens and the pagans, and everybody is bombarding them with all these philosophies and deception and traditions of men and the elementary, the demonic things, doing everything. He said, listen, don't let anybody take you captive. Don't, don't do it, rather than Jesus. So many, he's, he's, he's bummed. So in verse 8, he said, let no one take you captive. In verse 16, he said, let no one act as your judge. In verse 18, he said, let no one defraud you. And let no one, actually, what he said, let me give you literally, let no one keep defrauding you. If somebody is going to continue defrauding you, what does that mean? They've already defrauded you. Isn't that right? So the, the church is already being duped. They're already being deceived. They're already being dumped on. They're already having this demonic attack. All these warnings, Paul said, listen, man, don't, be, fall, don't fall captive again. Don't get duped. Don't get deluded. Don't be defrauded. Man, don't let anyone take your prize. Come on. See, we live, again, we have all these cultural, religious, traditional, demonic enemies that are around us that are trying to pull us away from Jesus. Amen. Now listen, I want you to hear, if you're listening, say I am. Every campus, this is the deal. This world, if you're born again, this world is not our home. Is that right? See, this world is not our home, and there's a danger when you are comfortable behind enemy lines. If you were walking the street of Baghdad this evening, would you be comfortable? Wouldn't you? Man, you'd be looking at every window. You'd be, I mean, you wouldn't know what the enemy looked like. You wouldn't know what was going on, man. You'd be looking for some army dudes to get around you. Man, you'd be looking for some help. See, we're behind enemy lines. The, the, Jesus said that the devil is the little G-O-D of this world, the cosmos set up to, 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 to run without God. And we're behind enemy lines. And what we've done is we've fallen asleep. We're walking through this landmine, this land, this, this landfield with landmines everywhere with cutoff shorts and tank top and Ray-Bans. We're bebopping around with our iPad, man, just, you know, just having a grand old time behind enemy lines. Does that make sense? And see, Paul got this because, see, Paul was captive by religion. 
Remember, he was part of the Judaizers. He was the guy, the number one guy that we see the beginning of the persecution of the church, killing Christians, dragging them to prison. It was his task, God-given, he believed, to stop the church until Jesus stopped him. I love that. God can fix a problem a lot of ways. He can save a problem. That's what he did with Paul, didn't he? He just saved him, knocked him off his horse with a blinding light. Who are you? I'm the Lord. Dude, what in the world are you doing? Stop it. Get up. Be blind a while. Come on. I love that about God, don't y'all? It's just amazing. See, and Paul says in another place, we were all once held captive. Is that right? So listen, those of us that, are held ca- that understand what being held captive was, why would we go back to captivity? So Jesus said it was for freedom that I set you free. He who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. See, he came to set us free. The devil came to kill us. Jesus came to give us life. Jesus came to set us free. The devil came to chain us. The world religions are about chaining us. All these things are about chaining us down. Does this make sense? It's the world in which we live in. He goes on, look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one act as your judge. You ever felt judged by other Christians? Hey, you ever felt like you needed to, that you had to dress a certain way and act a certain way and walk a certain way and do a certain way because everybody in church is looking at you? Are y'all with me? Some of you grew up in that church. And this is what Paul said. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let nobody act as your judge. Because, see, those, 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 those legalists, legalism is a horrible thing. Those legalists are trying to make you dress and act and talk and walk and carry a certain version. And if you don't do this and that, if you don't walk like us and talk like us and smell like us and do like us, then you're going to hell. And man, and he said, let nobody act as your judge. He said, don't let anybody act as your judge in regard to food, barbecued ribs, crawfish. Come on. In the Old Testament, you couldn't eat crawfish. It's like purgatory back then. I spoke in New Orleans last uh, uh, Saturday, uh, this weekend sometime. About 1,000 men. I went to lunch Friday. I said, listen, before you bring me lunch, bring me three pounds of boiled crawfish. What about lunch? I'm about to order. I just need that before lunch gets here. And then I got serious business. That was just a warm-up. And so in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat lobster, no catfish, no barbecue, no bacon. Oh, that'd hurt you. And bacon makes everything better. Come on. Woo! Mm, pork chops. I could get all into this. Therefore... Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to festival or new moon or a Sabbath day, which are, verse 17, a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance, the reality, the kabod, the weightiness, the reality, the substance is really Jesus. And this is what got me. I couldn't get away from this word shadows. I couldn't get, I would wake up thinking about this word. I'd go to sleep, shadows, shadows, shadows. Josh and I, Pastor Josh and I were lunch Monday. I said, shadows, man, shadows. I'm stuck on the shadows in verse 17 of chapter 2 in Colossians. Shadows, shadows, because we live in a shadow world. 
And you know what a shadow actually does? A shadow actually blocks the light. See, you don't see the, you don't see the light. You see, what, you, you see around the light. That's what the shadow does. It blocks part of the light. A shadow, when you look at a shadow, you can tell that it's a tree or a person, but you can't see any details. You know what I'm talking about? You can just see, you can't see the substance, the real thing. You just see part of this going on. See, shadows are not real. That's why the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff comforts me. The shadow of death is not real. And so Paul said, listen, man, you're living in a shadow land. And all these shadows are cast across the Colossian church. Man, the Gnostics and the Judaizers, are the, the legalizers, and, the, and man, the, the, all the pagans and all these people are doing everything they can, empowered by the enemy, to pull them away. You and I are surrounded by shadows. Our kids are growing up in a culture that shadows where our kids truly are believing that truth is just relative. It doesn't matter anymore. All roads lead to God. The Bible's as good as the Bhagavad Gita or any other religious book. That, why? It's a shadow time. And man, those shadows are falling over our hearts and our homes, and if we're not careful, we'll be taken captive. Are y'all with me? This is why this message stuck in my gut. I said, dear God, in 32 years of ministry, how many families, how many singles, how many students have I watched a shadow fall over and then fall away? Fall away. Were they ever really saved? What was, I don't, I, we can't know things like that. But I watched the shadows fall. And listen, I'm telling you, the pastors and the leaders of this church want more for you than we want from you. We want you to walk in victory. We want you to know the truth so well that no shadow's ever going to suck you away from the real light, the real deal. You know how they teach, about, or used to, I'm not sure if it's still true, you know how they used to teach bank tellers to, to spot counterfeit? They never let them see counterfeit. And all day long they handled money, real money. They just handled it, counted it, man, did a deal, and all of a sudden a fake bill would come and they'd say, oh, whoa, whoa, that didn't feel right. Are you with me? See, if you're handling the truth every day, if you're the Bible reading record with us and you're seeking the heart of God every day and you're learning to handle your sword every day, when a shadow falls over you, you say, holy moly, I don't feel right. See, even though the shadow promises because the Gnostics promised a better way, a deeper way, they were haughty. They had visions of angels. They had, man, they were working through these, these demigod, these, you know, emanations to get to the real God. And they had this deeper knowledge that nobody ever had. See, shadows are always promising something they can never deliver. And so the, they're promising deeper knowledge. They're promising, by the way, listen, listen, if you're listening, say I am. You'll never get deeper than the Word of God. Amen. Never. Never. You can spend a hundred years on the incarnation, on the, on the substitutionary atonement. You can spend forever on, on, man, the walk of the Holy Spirit. And, and you can dig in this book and you will, I don't care if you drop your bucket into this well, 10 million times it'll always be full when it comes up. I used to tell my son, Zach, we'd be on my back deck and when he started preaching and we'd work on a sermon and I'd say, listen, man, come on over because I know when you're dropping out skin a little well, ain't much in there. 
I just rag on him. And now he says, come on, Dad, let me, let me show you what a full bucket looks like right here. Because, man, I've been with God. And let me, let me show you. And so, man, it's just a, it's a deal. And so shadows, shadows. Look what it says. It says new boons and Sabbath and drink. He said these things are shadow of what is to come, but the substance is Jesus that's why, see, the legalists were there saying, hey, you, got, you can't eat these foods and you got to observe these days and you got to do like this and walk like this and talk like this. And See, legalism has an allurement because legalism is easier than real spirituality. See, legalism, somebody else tells you what to wear, how to cut your hair, how to live your life. Man, they're telling you if you'll follow all these things, then you'll be godly. But you know what? It's not as quarter inch beneath the skin. It's just surface. It's surface. It's not, it's not real speech. That's not a real walk with God. That's why legalism is so appealing. And so he goes on to verse 18, and he says, Hey, let no one keep defrauding you of your what? Of your prize. What's the prize? Jesus, your salvation, your freedom that he bought for you on the cross, your forgiveness, your pardon. Let no one defraud you. Let no one, let no one take away the prize. See, that you go back to the Galatian church that actually Paul planted. He said, a foolish Galatians, who is bewitching you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? He said, how'd you get saved? By faith. How? By grace through faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you started in the spirit, but now you're trying to follow an outward set of rules and regulations that's going to make you godly. He says, what's wrong with you people? They're bewitching you. They're stealing your grace. He said, you guys are in Galatians, you're falling from grace because they had given up grace for legalism. Legalism never works. It's like the little boy who's four years old and his dad said, sit down. And he, no, sit down, no. And he spanked him and he sat down crying. And he looked up his dad and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> See, that's legalism. Legalism is when you do something because you're forced to do it, but you don't mean it. And that's what, the, that's what the church was facing. He said, let no one defraud you. Let no one, in verse 18, let no one de keep defrauding you of your prize by self-abasement, by worship of angels, by taking his stand on visions as he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head. He said, come on. See, to defraud means to judge against someone as an umpire. He said, you're letting this guy be your judge. You're letting this guy, these, these, these Gnostics be your judge, and you're letting them tell you that Jesus is not enough. You're letting them steal your prize. Man, I love the, you go back to the, the parables. Jesus told about the pearl of great price, how the merchant found it and sold everything and went and bought the pearl of great price. We were given, church, the pearl of great price. We were given the love of God and the favor of God and his son. We were given everything. Matter of fact, I was going through this, and, and, and he goes on, and he talks about, you know, he said self-abasement, worship of angels, man. If you'll cut yourself, if you'll do all these things, and, and, and all, you'll, you'll do all this. And he keeps going on through 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 and all this kind of stuff about self-made religion and all this kind of thing. And then it dawned on me what the whole deal was. 
You know what it was? It was the original ID theft. See, some of you buy, you, you buy things to, to protect your ID. So somebody didn't swap your card and get your ID and open up a bunch of things that ruin your credit. You know what I'm talking about? Man, we got LifeLock and all these things that protect your ID. Well, listen, the devil was trying to steal the identity of the people of God and replacing it with something that sucked. What's as good as Jesus? Come on, nothing, nothing. It's unbelievable. And they were, but see, those shadows fell. And if you don't handle the truth, you'll fall. Now, there's one tree that stands with a shallow root system. It's the giant redwood in California. Doesn't have a huge, deep tap root. Doesn't have big, a, a deep root system. And so you got this monster tree that blows in the wind, but you know the reason that a redwood doesn't fall over in the storms? Because you never see a redwood alone. Redwoods glow, they grow in clumps. There's a bunch of redwoods. Just look it up, man. Google it and you get home. And those redwood roots, the roots intertwine and they lay on top of each other. And when the wind blows, man, those, that root system holds those redwoods up. If they were a solo tree, it'd blow it over. But see, it's able to stand because it's intertwined with other root systems that hold it. And see, when you get saved and your roots are very shallow, but you, you, get, you get hunkered down in the house of God, and you get rooted in the, the Son of God, and what happens is we, our root systems intertwine, and we help you grow until you get to the point. Now, you never get where you don't need the church. But until, you, until your roots grow deep and you're firmly planted and established, that's why you've got to stay planted in the house of God. Amen? Man, that is the deal. We just hold each other up. We hold each other up. And that's why, man, that we want the faith promise. We believe God wants to keep growing it. We keep, we keep intertwining with each other. We keep growing and we, and we move. And that's why, listen, listen. Let me take from the biblical and let me move to the practical. That's why we keep trying to raise up leaders. Because God means more people and their roots have got to have a place to connect with other roots. So we have 600 people that teach the word of God at Faith Promise. We need to double that number. But in another couple months when summer's over, and it will be over. For me, I say summer lasts three weeks. That's how fast time's passing. I can't imagine being 70 years old. I just, you know, weeks go by like a picket fence driving 90 miles an hour down the road, I'm sure. And so the summer's going to be over soon, but this is the deal. And we're going to launch our second, our second group's alignment, which is about hope. And we need about 50 new groups, new places for all the new people that are coming to connect. Some of your groups are pregnant. That means they are full. And they need to be birthed, one to the two. Amen? You say, but we love our group. And I'm sure you do, and I thank God for it. I love my group. But listen, there's more people. Where are their roots going to connect? See, it's not about us. It's about the other people God's sending to us. So this is what, man, I want to challenge you. Some of you God's been moving on about being small group leader every campus. 
We want, we're, it's our, we've been praying all year for 50 new groups as we launch in September our next alignment. And so when this service is over to all of our campuses, what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you if, man, you're just, cons- hey, man, I, I, might, I think I might, might want to lead a group, an adult group. And then go to our Next Steps class and Next Steps area, Next Steps at all of our campuses. And one of our small group pastors is going to be there every campus to talk to you, get some information, set up a meeting. And help you now listen, we need small group leaders at every age group, preschool, children, middle school, high school, young adult. But I'm talking today about 50, 50 couples or individuals who are going to say, hey, I need to step in. So when this is over, I want to challenge you. Just go to next step and say, hey, man, let, let me talk to you. I'm, God might be speaking to me about doing it. Just because you stop doesn't mean we're, we're going to put you in a group. We're going to help you. We're going we're, we're to walk with you. And see if it's the will of the Lord for you to step in there. Amen? Amen? Listen, man, is God doing something awesome at Faith Promise Church? Wow. Now, some of you still remember the quote from Billy Graham. You've never bent your will around the will of the master. You've never surrendered to him, to his lordship. You might have been religious. You might have gone to church. You might have had a couple warm fuzzies in a service and said, I had a warm fuzzy. I'm saved. Warm fuzzies don't get you to heaven. Jesus does. And it's a relationship, and it's surrendered to his lordship. So the head bowed and eye closed at every campus. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this confessional prayer with us as we pray it with you. So come on, faith promises, help them. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as my Lord. I surrender my will. I surrender my all. I make Jesus Lord. Show me how to do it, how to walk it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Come on. Hey, you guys know every weekend people get saved. Y'all do know that, don't you? Every weekend people give the heart to Jesus. Every weekend people are baptized. It's the book of Acts, and the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those that were being saved every day. So we're going to be dismissed in just a second. There's going to be campus pastors, people to pray for you if you want somebody to pray for you. Or t- if you prayed with me, gave your heart to Jesus, take the communication card behind you and check I prayed to receive Christ with the pastor. If you're on the internet campus, you can go to our chat room or you can go right there, click the communication card there and someone will be in touch with you. If you're thinking, hey, I want to talk to somebody about being a small group leader at whatever campus you are, go to the next step area and say, hey, you know, let me have some information of what we want to start praying through that. Whatever the case may be, God is up to something and we all need to be a part. Amen. One last thing, I'm going to let you go. Because, man, this passage is burned in my soul. Still, the, the, leaders, the Global Leadership Summit, I want to challenge you. Get connected. Has it been good to be in God's house? We love you. Be blessed. See you next weekend. Bring somebody.